babes. Guess what? We have a new segment on the block. It is Wednesday, and that means that we are launching the newest segment of the Bay Bay of Podcasts called Women to Watch, where I sit down and chat with some of the most badass babes in their industry, babes that are blazing some trails, also some babes that are really just getting some shit done and following their dreams and jumping into their passion projects. So I'm so excited that you guys are here to listen on an additional episode this week. And uh, stay tuned and make sure to follow them on social media when you're done um, and give them all the support that they deserve. Thank you so much. And I can't wait for you guys to see who's up next. Good day. Great day, babes. Um, happy Wednesday. Uh, not only is today Women to Watch Wednesday, I'm featuring a woman who literally helped me get into true crime obsession even though she really didn't know she was doing it. Um, But it's also Papa Rose's birthday. My dad turned another year older today. He is 65. Let me count. Hold on. (laughs) Let me look. I think he's 65. Hold on. Sixty-four. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Sixty-four, Dad. Sorry, I didn't mean to make you a year older than you are, Papa Roseberry. But I love you so much. I hope you had the best day. My parents bought a new car today. It's really cute. They do live in the north, so you have to like have snow tires and four-wheel drive and winter vehicles. <laughs> Where here, I have a winter vehicle, but it's definitely not going to be used for winter activities maybe who knows um let's just dive right into it um one of the main women of our time that helped us all love true crime is miss jessica fletcher you know angela lansbury's character from murder she wrote and sadly she passed away this uh last week and so i'm gonna share with you guys some really interesting things you may not have known about her i mean you can go and do the wikipedia deal um, which I know sometimes can be super monotonous. So I've been trying to find fun things about the women that I'm featuring, um, or heartfelt things that you wouldn't expect to come from people that they're reporting about. So, um, this is an article from the New York times. It was written by Daniel Lewis, and there's a really cool, um, video I'm going to play the audio of it's the last word by Angela Lansbury and it says the New York Times sat down with Angela Lansbury in 2010 to discuss her life and accomplishments on stage and screen she spoke with us with the understanding the interview will be published only after her death that obviously has come this past week um, and actually was published on October 11th. So um, let's hop into a fun little ad from Anchor and Spotify before we listen to that fun little ditty from Miss Angela. So hang tight. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. If you're just joining us, this is the Bay Bay F podcast. My name is Jess. I am your hostess with the mostest. And every Wednesday, I bring you dynamic women of their industries. And Unfortunately, we're reporting about Angela Lansbury today because she passed away last week and at the loving age of 96. 
Um, she was a formidable actress who captivated Hollywood in her youth, became a Broadway musical sensation in middle age, and drew millions of fans as a widowed mystery writer on the long-running television series Murder, She Wrote. She died last Tuesday in her home in L.A. She was 96. Her death was announced in a statement by her family. Miss Lansbury was the winner of five competitive Tony Awards for her starring performances on the New York stage. Um, from Mamie in 1966 to Blythe Spirit in 2009, when she was 83. A testament to her extraordinary stamina. She also received a special Tony for Lifetime Achievement at this year's ceremony, yet she appeared on Broadway only from time to time over a seven-decade career in film, theater, and television, in which we were also years, sorry, there were also years when nothing seemed to be coming up roses. The English-born daughter is of an Irish actress. She was just 18 when she landed her first role as Charles Boyer's cheeky cockney servant in the thriller Gaslight of 1944, a precocious debut that brought her a contract with MGM and an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actress. She received a second Oscar nomination in 1946 for her supporting performance as a dance hall girl in the picture of Dorian Gray. It was a giddy start for a young woman who was at 14, had fled wartime London with her mother, and only recently graduated from New York's Fagan School of Dramatic Art. Miss Lansbury imagined she might have a future as a leading future as a leading lady, but she said in a New York Times interview in 2009 she was not comfortable trying to climb that ladder. I wasn't very good at being a starlet, she said. I didn't want to pose for cheesecake photos and that kind of thing. I like cheesecake. It might have been a matter of bones. Her full round face was not well suited for the dramatic lighting of the time, which favored the more angular looks of stars like Lauren Bacall and Catherine Hepburn. In any event, she appeared in many a forgettable film before breaking out as a glamorous madcap aunt in Mamie on Broadway. MGN regularly cast her as an older woman or a nasty one. Of the 11 movies she made after Dorian Gray, perhaps her most notable role was in, quote, State of the Union of 1948 with Miss Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, in which she had played a newspaper magnate trying to get her married lover elected, excuse me, president. With the expiration of her MGM contract in 1951, Miss Lansbury joined the national touring productions of two stage plays, remains to be seen in affairs of state. But when she returned to movies as a freelance actress, she again found herself cast as either two types, as she put it, bitches on wheels and people's mothers. I love both. <laughs> she was Elvis Presley's possessive mother in Blue Hawaii of 1961. She was Lawrence Harvey's sinister mother in The Manchurian Candidate of 1962, a role that won her a third supporting actress Oscar nomination. Though she only has three years Mr. Harvey Sr., her maternal authority was entirely convincing when she told him, you are to shoot the president nominee through the head. <laughs> she played a woman who kills her husband in Please Murder Me of 1956, and an overbearing mother in The Reluctant Debutante of 1958. And so it went. On to Broadway. 
this is literally just still the New York Times article. Miss Lansbury made her way her Broadway debut in 1957 in Hotel Presidio, a translation of a 19th century French farce. Good reviews encouraged her to try more theater work. She returned to Broadway in 1960 as the alcoholic single mother of a pregnant teenager in A Taste of Honey. In 1964, she was cast as a corrupt mayor in the Arthur Laureate's Stephen Sondheim's musical, Anyone Can Whistle. A notorious failure. It closed after only 12 previews and nine performances, but it showed she could summon the right stuff for live musical performance. Quote, I had a little high soprano and they wanted a belter she said in 2009 so i learned how to belt that a babe miss lansbury was anything but a shoe-in for the coveted lead in mamie the jerry herman musical adaption of patrick dennis's novel aunt mamie or auntie mamie i'm sorry which had already been adapted into a stage play and a movie both starring rosalind russell and both great successes Miss Russell did not want to play Mamie again. Mary Martin was cast but opted out. More than a dozen other actresses, including Judy Garland, Doris Day, and Miss Hepburn, were said to be under consideration. But Miss Lansbury was one of the few willing to audition for the role in front of the show's creative and financial principles. In a Life magazine cover article about the show and her part in it, she reclaimed that there Sorry, she recalled that there had been many distracting interruptions by men in dark glasses, compelling her to sing the songs over again. Quote, then they said, goodbye, thank you, that was all, she said. Back home in Malibu, California with her husband Peter Shaw, an MGM executive, and their teenage children, Anthony and Deirdre, she waited for months for a call from the East. Finally, she flew to New York and confronted the producers. Quote, well, I'm going back to California, she recalled telling them. And unless you tell me, let's face it, I've prostrated myself. Now, yes or no, that's the end of it. That afternoon, she got an official yes. I love a babe who takes charge. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Her performance made her a genuine star at last. The show opened in New York uh, on May 24th, 1966. And the columnist Rex Reed reported in the Times that on the night he attended, quote, when people got tired of whistling and clapping like thunder, they stood up in newly refurbished seats in the winter garden and screamed. He likened Miss Lansbury to, quote, a happy caterpillar turning after years of being thumb-nosed by Hollywood in, endlessly, in endless roles as baggy-faced frumps into a gilt-edged butterfly. Love that for her! All right, to Miss Lansbury's disappointment, though Lucille Ball was chosen for the film version of Mamie, which was not a success. Miss Lansbury won her second Tony for Best Actress as the 75-year-old Countess Aurelia in Dear World, a 1969 musical adaption of The Mad Woman of Shiloh, C-H-A-I-L-L-O-T. I think I said that right. The production itself was not well-received, but closed after 132 performances. For a while, though, it held the distinction of charging the highest ticket prices on Broadway, which was $12.50 for the best seats, an equivalent to about $105 today. She then returned to Hollywood, where she played an aging German aristocrat in Something for Everyone of 1970, a rare cinematic effort from the Broadway producer and director Harold Prince, 
and a witch in the Disney movie Bedknobs and Broodsticks of 1971. But this was a tumultuous time for her and her family. Their Malibu house was destroyed in a brush fire. Her son and daughter were using hard drugs, and she and Mr. Shaw decided to leave California for the coast of County Cork, Ireland, where they built a home based on the traditional farmhouse design. It was the sanctuary they hoped for. Miss Laneberry became a serious gardener and her children overcame their drug problems. Great job, fam. Anthony became an actor and then a television director with credits including numerous episodes of Murder, She Wrote. Deidre eventually married Enzo Badara, a restauranteur, and became his business partner. Over the next decade, Miss Lansbury worked mostly on the stage in London and New York. She starred as Mama Rose in the revival of Gypsy, which opened in London and won her a third Tony when it reached Broadway in 1974. She won yet another for her performance as Mrs. Levitt, the baker with a grisly source of meat for her pies in the Mr. Sondheim and Hugh Wheeler's Sweeney Todd with Lynn Cario, C-A-R-I-O-U, in the title role, which opened in March 1979 and ran for 557 performances. The success on London stage closed a circle for Miss Lansbury. Angela Bridget Lansbury was born in London on October 16, 1925, and grew up there in her upper-middle-class comfort, the daughter of Monia McGill, an Irish actress, and Edgar Lansbury, a timber merchant and politician whose son, who was the son of the Labor Party leader, George Lansbury. Her father died of stomach cancer when she was nine. Her grandfather died five years later, and that loss, together with the Blitz, prompted her mother to move to the United States with Angela, her half-sister, and her twin younger brothers. We left everything behind, Miss Lansbury recalled. Suddenly, we just weren't there anymore. Interesting. All right, I'm going to pause in between this article because I want to play the um, video that's at the top so you guys can hear the audio. It's it's a 13-minuter, so let's go. And honestly, depending upon time, I might just leave the rest of the article for y'all to read for yourselves, so stay tuned. We'll see what's up. I can say this in all honesty, I was too good an actress. I was primarily an actress and not a pretty face. The last word. I'm not gonna sleep in the same room with her. See the way she looked at me. She earned an Oscar nomination at 19 and the Tony Award at 83. In between, Angela Lansbury's career spanned seven decades and countless transformations on stage, screen, and television. Her lasting popularity was a testament to the determination and talent of a woman whom Hollywood studios did not see as their leading lady. I am a character actress, uh, first and foremost. <clears throat> Although the one area that I was not a character actress really was playing Jessica Fletcher. And the proof is right here. The photograph of your fiance. This photograph. It was missing the night of the fire. Jessica Fletcher was probably about as close, not to me, but to the sort of woman that I might have been had I not been an actress. 
Angela Bridget Lansbury was born in London in 1925. Her mother, Moyna McGill, was a successful London actress. Her father, Edgar Lansbury, a businessman. But her happy childhood was cut short at age nine when her father died of cancer. The business sort of fell off appreciably and my mother found herself a widow with four children and her income was very much reduced. She sold everything, books, everything. World War II had begun. The family emigrated to the U.S. After a dangerous ship crossing, they made their way to New York. Eventually, they moved to California, where Moyna hoped she and her daughter could break into movies. While working in a department store, 17-year-old Angela was called in to audition for a role in MGM's The Picture of Dorian Gray. So I went out to MGM Studios with my mother because I was a minor. And by golly, we are immediately not taken to see the director-producer of The Picture of Dorian Gray, but we're rushed in to see uh, uh, George Cooper, who is going to direct the movie Gaslight with Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer. This is Elizabeth, the cook. Hello. You'll find that she's in good there. I really didn't know what I was doing. I look at the picture now and I say, how the devil did you have the experience? See you Sunday? Perhaps. Usual place? Usual place. No. No. I, I, I had not been around the block. I didn't have boyfriends. I didn't know anything. And yet here was this woman, you know, <laughs> this girl, because I was only 17, behaving as if, you know, I knew it all. I didn't. But I knew how to act knowing it all. Oh, no, sir. Not with me. I can take care of myself when I want to. For her very first film role, she was nominated for an Oscar in 1944. She also won the singing role of Sybil Vane in Dorian Gray, and the next year she was nominated again. She didn't win either time, but saw it as a blessing. He once said that you are lucky you didn't win because you might not have become as good an actress if you had won. I believe that. I've often felt uh, earning an Academy Award early, too early is a terrible deterrent because you don't know what to do next. But while her professional life flourished, behind the scenes were personal setbacks. When Lansbury was 19, she wed for the first time to actor Richard Cromwell, but the marriage quickly fell apart. It never should have happened. Uh, it, it was something that he, as an individual, really tried to will himself into. But it was not possible because he was a gay man and therefore he, he walked away from it. And I was absolutely... Oh, I mean, it was like the end of my life when, when that happened. So it was a terrible, terrible shock to me. Not long after, she met Peter Shaw, a young actor who would be the love of her life and have a profound influence on her career. When he came into my life on a blind date, we, we, just, we just kind of locked emotionally together and uh, we never looked back. He was really not a good enough actor. And I, I'm quite well known for having said this to him, and he'll be the first, he would have been the first person to agree. He said, I said, Peter, you're, you're, a, you're a terrific guy, but you're not an actor. <laughs> he left acting to become an agent and eventually managed his wife's career. He became my mentor, my manager, everything. 
But after a promising start in film, she was typecast in second-level character roles, often much older than herself. They weren't going to groom me to be a, 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 an over-the-title star, but then I never was really that kind of material. If I had been knocked down fantastic, you know, Betty Grable legs and, you know, this and this and this, maybe I would have been able to force them to put me up there and to build me into a big movie star. But I was hampered by the fact that I was, and I can say this in all honesty, I was too good an actress. I was primarily an actress and not a pretty face. In 1961, director John Frankenheimer offered what would be her most famous film role, Mrs. Iceland in The Manchurian Candidate. You are to shoot the presidential nominee through the head. And I really have to give John Frankenheimer full credit. He was relentless in his passion to make this woman the essence of evil. Now we have come almost to the end. One last step. Those speeches in which he talks about, you know, what they have done to you. And grounding to death for what they did to you. And what they did in so contemptuously underestimating we did it in one take. Why? Because the preparation was so intense that it had to come that way or no way. I want to talk to you about that communist tart. Shut up with that mother, shut up! It was one of the great, great roles of my, of my career. I am forever thankful that I had the chance to do it. I want the nominee to be dead about two minutes after he begins his acceptance speech. You were a favorite to win the Oscar for Supporting Actress that year. And you didn't that night. It went to Patty Duke and the Miracle Worker. That, that was a night that I wouldn't want to have to live through again. <laughs> you know, there are times in your life you think, this could be it. This could be it. And I had a special dress made. And, oh, I don't know. It's just, I think soon after that, uh, I came to New York. <laughs> In the mid-60s, Angela Lansbury returned to the theater. In 1966, she played the title role in Jerry Herman's musical Maine. If he walked into my life today. The show was a smash hit, and she won her first Tony Award. That was very heady business for me. I had to take on a mantle of stardom. It was all about glamour. And glamour was something that I'd never kind of allowed myself to be associated with. It was not the happiest time. My life, in a sense, has always been kind of divided into two parts, uh, family and uh, career. Uh, the sad part in my mind was that I didn't succeed particularly well. Uh, the family suffered, the career soared. The children, we discovered, had fallen into the same traps that many, many kids during that period of our social history, which they were into drugs. And we had no recourse in those days. I mean, really, we did not know what to do. It was a terrible, terrible time. She decided to bring her family to her ancestral land, Ireland. I found this house. It had 20 acres and a, a walled garden. And I mean, I, I said, well, we can all live here. So I bought it. 
uh, finally, everybody, we all came over and we started our life anew. Absolutely. In Ireland, the family found stability. Well, yes, we can't do that, of course. Then, in 1979, came the stage role for which she strongly felt she would be best remembered on Broadway, Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd. She was not an evil woman. Well, she's pretty naughty, but <laughs> nevertheless, I think that her fun and the humor that was so marvelous in The Little Priest appealed to audiences worldwide. And then, of course, when the show was put on film, a whole generation of youngsters saw it who otherwise wouldn't have known who the hell Angela Lansbury was. Diana, I'm so sorry you're not feeling well. But it would be another five years before Angela Lansbury would become a true household name with the debut of Murder, She Wrote. I hear they pose on you like this, but I really do need clarification on Her role as the gentle but wise amateur detective Jessica Fletcher would last 12 seasons. She noticed things. She had a, an ability to pick up on little bits and pieces of information which uh, solved crimes. I couldn't help but notice the no smoking sign on your desk in the office. How much of Jessica Fletcher was Angela Lansbury? Well, not really any of her, not really any of her. But uh, uh, let's say my sensitivity, yes, at times, uh, because those things are going to reveal themselves. And anytime you're in Maine, you let me cook you up some lobster stew. I'll do that. Yes. Certainly, that's me uh, responding to a situation. I'm going to reveal the side of myself, which is real, you know. Yes, certainly. You managed to exercise a lot of creative control on the show. For instance, several times it was suggested that Jessica Fletcher have a love interest, and you rejected it completely. Yes, I did. This is all moving just too fast for a widow woman from Maine. I can respect that. You sure? I, I felt that the minute I, I got into something like that, um, I was destroying, I was destroying the mystique of Jessica. I'm sorry, Jess. Not that she was a flirt, don't misunderstand me, but I wanted to feel always that circumstances just didn't allow it to happen, sadly. Her husband, Peter Shaw, died in 2003. They had been wed for 53 years. After his death, she grieved deeply. A few years later, she moved to New York and returned to Broadway. In 2009, she won her fifth Tony Award for playing Madame Arcadi in Blythe Spirit. Ms. Lansbury was 83 years old. What would you like your legacy to be? Uh, that through my acting, I enabled people to to get out of their own lives and to be allowed to be transported into other areas of life that they otherwise would never have. I'd love to be able to feel that I enabled people to do that. Life is so hard for so many people. That was amazing. So that was produced by Cassie Bracken. Reporters were Mervyn Rothstein and Cassie Bracken and senior producer David Rummel. It's popped up here from the New York Times from Sarah Kroll, which K-R-U-L-W-I-C-H. And I'm actually going to put the post for um, the rest of this article by Daniel Lewis in the New York Times in the show notes because I just 
drank some sleepy tea and I need to go to bed. So I don't want you to miss out on any of the good goods, but I'm also giving you a little bit of homework so you guys can read it secondarily. So um, before I go, today's confetti corner um, is it's Papa Rose's birthday and I just love him so much. And he got to hang out with my sister and um, the newest addition to the family, which is not just a car. <laughs> um, and so it was really fun to FaceTime the family today and um, I just can't wait to hug their necks in December. So um, if you have it in you, please pray for my family as well. Um, there have been some things going on and we definitely could use all the prayers we could get. So I hope you guys have an amazing week. I'll see you back on Friday. It'll actually be two episodes. Episode, uh, I think it's five and six of How to Create Your Own Fairy Tale. Um, might be four and five. Just stay tuned and make sure you like, share, rate, subscribe. All the things. And know that I love you very much. And don't forget to always be babe AF. Continue to unfuck yourself. And uh, I hope you have a great day. Love you so, so much.